We will not have uh, 252 today. Kids are going to stay in here uh, for our uh, sermon. If you have children that need to be taken back to the nursery, you can go check them in uh, right now. I'd like for you to take a moment and consider and ponder, think about what in this world do you currently find really troubling? What weighs heavy on your hearts? It could be something going on with your health. Uh, It could be something that your family is facing. It may be the way that you've been treated. It could be the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the disturbing news when you uh, go online or turn on the TV and you see uh, disturbing reports of uh, wicked white supremacist attacks taking lives or alarming uh, reports about wars going on. There are things in this world that make it clear that it is broken uh, and there are things that are heartbreaking to hear. And so as you think about the things that have been troubling you lately, the things that have been weighing on you. Sometimes we may have moments where we start to wonder, like, is there anything that can be done? Like, is, is there anything that can be done about this brokenness? Is anybody going to step in? Turn with me to Luke 7. Today, in God's Word, we're going to see a beautiful reminder of our Savior. I've titled my sermon, Where Authority and Compassion Meet. And so as we face the brokenness of this world, as we face the heartache of this world, and the gravity of sin, our own and the impact of others, there's good news for us because of Jesus. I'm going to read the text today and then pray for us. Uh, The passage is a little bit longer. It's 17 verses, but I still want us to read the whole passage uh, before we start to examine the truths from that. So Luke chapter 7, I'm going to start with verse 1. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith, even 
in Israel, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Let's pray. Father, your word is good and true, and we confess that again today as we do each week. God, I pray that you work in our hearts for the church. I pray that you will remind us of the Savior that we have. And for those who are still searching, for those who have not trusted in him, I pray that they will be amazed at the words about the Savior, Jesus. I pray that eyes will be opened and that you will work, Holy Spirit, For your glory, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we work through this text, we see there are two scenes here. We've got the scene with the centurion uh, who has the sick servant, and we have the scene of the widow who has lost her son. And so in this, there's going to be two points I want us to look at that are reminders of Jesus, reminders of who our Savior is. And the first is this. We have a Savior with real authority. We have a Savior with real authority. So that's what we see in the first scene, the the scene with the centurion who has the sick servant. Verses 1 through 10 is that scene. Let's look back at it again. So this is after Jesus had finished his sermon that we've been kind of working through for a couple of weeks. It says, when he had completed saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy for you to grant this. Because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, 
I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. We have a Savior with real authority. So here in this first scene, authority uh, comes into the discussion again. Jesus goes into Capernaum. He's been there before. He went there earlier in Luke. After he left his hometown, he had been rejected at his hometown, Nazareth. He travels to Capernaum and does all types of miracles. And it says the news spread around, right? The news continued to go out about this man. And in verse 2, we learn that there is a centurion who has a servant that is sick, The centurion is a soldier in the Roman army, so he would have been a Gentile. He's an outsider from the from the Jews. And he would have been, so as a centurion, he would have been in command of about a hundred soldiers under his power, under his position. That would have given him a, a position of power, that would have given him likely a position of wealth. He would have been uh, in a much better financial position than most people uh, around him. And the servant is sick and about to die. And it says that he is highly valued by the centurion. Uh, he actually cared about his servant. That wouldn't have been common in the day. Servants are replaceable. If a servant dies, you just get another one to fill the spot. But this man, he cared about his servant. And in verse 3, he hears about Jesus, right? He's heard about this man that can heal any sickness. He heard the stories because the crowds went out to Jesus the last time he was in Capernaum. And through the night, Jesus healed the sick of all kinds of diseases, and he cast out all kinds of demons. And so the centurion hears, Jesus is back. Jesus is here. He's the one that can do something about this situation. Your servant's about to die. You need to see Jesus. And so he sends some Jewish elders to go and speak on his behalf. To go and kind of represent him to Jesus. He recognizes he's an outsider here. And he thinks maybe, you know, the Jewish elders can uh, convince him to come. And they do. And they, they go and they stand up for him, which is really uncommon. Jews and Gentiles did not get along. And certainly Jewish leaders would not have liked a uh, Roman soldier, right? They're the occupying force. So for them to go and speak highly of him, he is an individual who has really cared for the community and has a a high position uh, in the community. They think highly of him and they say to Jesus, he's worthy of this. Like, go and and heal his servant. He deserves this. He's such a good man and he, he cares about our nation. He loves our nation. He's built a synagogue for us. And Jesus goes with him. And as he gets close, the centurion again sends representatives, this time a group of friends. Now this is one of those cases where the centurion is a main character in the scene. And he's not actually present in the scene at all. He never goes to Jesus. 
And we learn why. Uh, but he sends people to represent him. First the Jewish elders and then some friends. And in verse 6, the friends go and they give a message from the centurion. And they say, don't, the, our, our, our master, or our, I'm sorry, our friend wants you to know you don't need to come any further. You don't need to come into his house. He doesn't want to trouble you any more. All you have to do is say the word. And he knows that if you just speak the word, his servant will be healed. And he says they, they, through his friends, I'm not worthy to have someone like you come under my roof. I don't deserve to have someone like you, Jesus, to come into my house. But I know that you're the one person that can do something about the brokenness that my life is experiencing right now. You are the one person that can actually heal my servant. And so he tells his friends, just tell him to say the word. Just tell him to say whatever it takes and that we know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus is amazed. Only one other time in the gospel is Jesus recording, recorded as being amazed in something. And that was earlier in Luke. Luke, when he went to his hometown and was rejected at his own hometown by the people who knew him, by the people who grew up with him, it said there that he was amazed at their lack of faith. And now an outsider, a Gentile, says, I know all you have to do is say the word. You don't have to be here. You don't have to touch him. You don't have to do anything. You can just say the word from wherever you are and it's going to happen. And Jesus is amazed when he hears about this Gentile centurion. And he tells the people following him, I've never seen faith like this. I've never seen faith like this, even in the nation of Israel, even in my own people. I don't see faith like this. Now, likely not talking about saving faith. We don't know that he's come to faith in Jesus for salvation at this point, maybe. But likely what he's talking about is just believing that Jesus actually can do something. He, can, he has the ability and the authority to do something. And the centurion used his own experience to kind of say, look, I know that all it takes is a word. And so he says, look, I'm under the authority of other people. So I know what it's like to follow what they tell me to do. And then I have people under me. And so if I tell a soldier, go and do this, he does it. If I tell him to come and do something, he does it. If I tell my servant what he has to do, he does it. And so I understand how authority works and I recognize that you have real authority here. And all you have to do is say something. Now the authority of Jesus has been a part of Luke's gospel on many occasions up to this point. And it will continue to come up because that's going to be one of the things that is questioned about him. How do you have this kind of authority to do these things? How do you have this kind of authority to say these things? In Luke 4, the people were amazed because he taught with authority. 
Uh, he had the authority to cast out demons. He had the authority to heal every kind of sickness and disease. And then in Luke 5, he claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. Which, of course, they criticized in their hearts. Who can do that? Who has the right to do that? That's something only God can do. And then Jesus says, so that you will know that I have authority, I'm going to perform this miracle. And that's when he, re- he healed the paralytic. The man who had been unable to walk was completely restored and was able to get up and walk out that day. Authority has been discussed multiple times in Luke. In the Great Commission from Matthew, we see Jesus make this statement. And we've looked at this before whenever we were talking about authority. But Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, we see Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has the power to control all things. He only has to give the word. He only has to say the word. And whatever he desires, it will take place. And isn't that good news for us? When we have considered and thought about the brokenness of this world... The, the horrible things that we face or the sins that we're still struggling with. Isn't it good to, news for us to know that we have a Savior with real authority? We have a Savior with real power that can step into the brokenness of our mess and the brokenness of our lives and He can do something about it. All He has to do is say the Word. That's good news. We aren't hopeless. We aren't hopeless. And so let's hold on to this truth that we have a a Savior with real authority. And let's remind ourselves of that often. The second thing I want us to look at from this text comes from the second scene in what we've read. The second point is this. We have a Savior with deep compassion. We have a Savior with deep compassion. So not only does Jesus have the power to do something about the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of the world, He's also a Savior that cares enough to do something. He sees the the brokenness and He's motivated to do something about it. He has deep, motivating compassion. Let's look at the second scene Luke 7, starting in verse 11. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead, man's, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. The large crowd from the city was, a large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man 
sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. The report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. So Jesus goes into a town called Nain. This is the only place in the Bible that it's mentioned. He and his disciples, and there's a large crowd following with him as they head to the town. And as they get close to the entryway of the city, there's a funeral coming out. Now the custom of the day would have been to bury likely on the same day. It would have happened the day that he died, almost certainly. Uh, an individual after they died would be immediately prepared for burial and then taken out and buried. And so this is at the height of their uh, despair. This is at the height of their heartbreak. He has just died. And Luke provides this detail that shows even more of the gravity of the situation. The woman that is closest to the dead body. This is her son. It's her only son, and she is a widow. So in the, the, the day, in the ancient world, widows were some of the most vulnerable to be taken advantage of. Uh, especially if there was not a, a child and, and especially a son that could step in and help provide for her, help protect her. They suffered often in great, great ways to find the way to kind of provide for themselves and, and, and take care of themselves. The hardship that this woman will face was going to be great. And so how does Jesus respond? Now, it's important for us to remember, like, nobody went to him and said, Jesus, we need you to know about what's going on here. Nobody begged for him to step in and act. Jesus knows what's going on. He sees the situation and he is moved with compassion is what the text says. He has compassion for the woman and the grief that she's facing. He first addresses the widow and says, don't weep. Don't weep. Now, remember, her only son has just died. The grief of a parent burying a child is heavy. To say to someone the same day that they've lost their only child, don't weep, don't cry, is really heartless unless you can do something about it. And remember, he can. Jesus is the one person who has authority that he can actually step into this situation and do something about the brokenness. And so Jesus walks up, moved with compassion. He walks up and lays his hand on the open coffin and he tells the dead man, to get up. The pallbearers had stopped 
Everybody's watching. And Jesus says, I, Jesus says to him, Young man, I tell you, get up. And what happens? The dead man sits up. He's alive again, and it's not some magic trick. He immediately starts speaking, and we don't know what he says. We don't know if it's praise to God. We don't know if it's words of confusion, like what's going on? What has happened? We have no clue what was said, but he is alive. He started speaking again. He was, he was breathing again. And Jesus gave the dead man back to her son, and he is alive The heartache's gone. The hopelessness has been dispelled. The dead man has come back to life. And how does everyone respond to this? It says that fear came over everyone. Fear came over the the whole crowd. Fear and awe. Complete amazement. That Jesus has healed, uh, or that Jesus has caused a dead man to come back to life. And they give glory to God and they declare a great prophet has risen among us. And then they make this statement, God has visited his people. Now, what they meant there in that was God has allowed this wonderful miracle to take place. God has clearly acted in this situation because only God could cause something like this to take place. But they didn't realize there's a greater truth in their words. Yes, God actually had visited His people that day. Jesus, God the Son, had visited the town and had brought healing. He had performed a great miracle to bring the dead man back to life. And the news about Jesus continues to spread because this is a man with real authority to work in the brokenness of people's lives and real compassion, deep compassion that moves him to people who are broken, to people who are hurting. The the word for compassion when it's used throughout the New Testament here is the word for uh, like in his bowels or in his guts. And it was an ancient way of saying like from the deepest part of his being, he cared about what was going on. That's who our Savior is. He has compassion for us. And that was not just a, an occasional thing. That's truly who he is. The, the Gospels throughout were showing us scenes of a compassionate Savior who worked in the brokenness of our lives. One of those scenes in one of the other Gospels, in Matthew 9, verse 35 and 36, we see this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion for the people who were hopeless, for the people who were distressed, for the people who were broken. Jesus felt compassion and not just pity like, oh man, isn't that 
sad. Uh, Jesus didn't come and look at all the brokenness and all the mess of our lives and say, man, what a needy bunch these people are. Jesus moved towards people in their heartaches, in their brokenness, in their sin. Jesus cared about people and he still does. We uh, just wrapped up the study, uh, Gentle and Lowly. We had a group working through a small group study on Gentle and Lowly, a book by Dane Ortland. And com- Jesus' compassion is one of the themes that he hit on in several places in the book. And Dane Ortland writes these words, The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move towards that sin and suffering, not away from it. And later on he goes on to say, If compassion clothed itself in a human body and went walking around this earth, what would it look like? We don't have to wonder. Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He looks at the brokenness of our lives and He moves towards us, not away. Whatever we're suffering, whatever sin we're struggling with, whatever brokenness is burdening us, He moves towards us. Because of the compassion of our Savior, we can have hope and life. He works in the most hopeless of situations. And this scene of Jesus raising the dead man back to life is just a foretaste of what He will do for all of us who are in Christ, who have trusted in Jesus. Because we have the promise that even if we die, if we have trusted in Jesus, that we will be raised to eternal life. We don't have to fear death because we will live for eternity with Him. And so this little scene of His compassionate care for this widow who's lost her only son is also a reminder to all of us of what Jesus is going to do for us. We will be raised to life. It's through Jesus that we have life. What a magnificent Savior. Jesus has all authority to do something about the brokenness of this world and He has a heart of compassion that moves Him towards us to actually do something about it. It would be one thing if He had the power to do it but didn't care. But Jesus cares for us and moves towards us. He didn't pull away from the sin and suffering. He walked into it. So if you've not trusted in Jesus before, if you've not put your faith in Him for salvation, we want you to consider the truths about the Savior that we have. One who has real authority and power to to do something about the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of your life, and that cares enough for you that He did something To rescue you. He gave up his life for you. So that if you would just believe in him. You would be forgiven. And you would have the promise of eternal life also. 
And so if you want to know more about this Savior, if you want to know more about what it means to put your faith in Jesus, I would love to be able to talk with you and share the good news of the gospel with you. And so there are some yellow response cards on the back of your seats. You could fill one of those out and just say that you want to know more about salvation uh, or just that you want to schedule a meeting with the pastor. And I would love to be able to talk with you. Church, Jesus has all authority. He has all authority and he has deep, deep compassion for you. He has compassion for every one of us. He actually cares about us. What good news to have a Savior that can work in our lives and cares enough about us to do so. So as you've considered some of the burdens that weigh you down, whether that's a sin that you keep struggling with or whether that is a, uh, just a brokenness and a heartache that you're enduring currently, I want to encourage you with this good news that we have a Savior with authority and we have a Savior with compassion. Jesus is where authority and compassion meet. It's in Him that we have hope. It's in Him that we have healing. And it's in Him that we have life. So as I said before, what a magnificent Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, You are so good. Thank You for this reminder of who our Savior is. Thank You... Jesus, for not only having the power to do something about the brokenness that we face, but that you love us deeply and you have real compassion for us. Thank you for the promise of life that we have, God, because of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to... Uh, continue this reminder of our Savior by taking communion together. If you didn't pick up the elements earlier, there's still some on the back table. You can go and pick those up. Uh, we do ask that if you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, that you not take these elements that are meant as a reminder for the church, uh, but instead that you would just spend some time pondering this message about the Savior that is uh, available to you. But we invite all believers to join us in this reminder of taking communion together. So as we have been reminded of our Savior, a Savior who has real authority, a Savior who has deep compassion for us, as we take this bread and this juice, just simple elements to remember that it was His body that was given for us. It was His blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. It's through Him that we can have eternal life. Jesus worked in our most hopeless of situations. Jesus worked by coming into the brokenness of this world. 
We do have, it looks like we ran short. We do have a few more of the cups in the back, sorry. But if you did not get uh, any, there are a few more that have been brought out. So Jesus has worked in the most hopeless of our situations, our sin. He came and he lived a perfectly obedient life for us. And then he died in our place. So that if we would just trust in Him, we would be forgiven. If we would just believe in Jesus, our sins would be forgiven. We would be adopted as God's children. What good news this act of taking communion helps us remember Him. It helps us remember the sacrifice that was made. Before we take these elements, I do want us to just pray for a moment. Kathy's going to play for us for just a couple of minutes. Uh, we are going to just use this time to pray. Uh, it's a time to confess sins. It's a time to thank God again that He sent His Son to die for you. Thank Jesus for taking your place. So spend just the next couple of moments praying about those things, uh, and then we will take the elements together. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, this was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He instituted the the first Lord's Supper. We read these words recorded in Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So taking your bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins.
I'm going to pray as the worship team uh, comes up as we get ready to sing our closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, reminder today. We thank you um, for this simple act that is so important to the church. Uh, to be reminded of the, the body of Jesus being given to us. The blood of Jesus being shed for us. Help us live lives worthy of the gospel that we believe. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.